This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Oh, and we're ready to go. How do you like that? I just got the thumbs up. So here we are. You're live with Dr. Jeff. We're your host for the next 30 minutes here on Pet Life Radio. Ask the best with Dr. Jeff, along with my Instagram live crowd. So um, thank you for joining. And um, anyway, here for you, here for your pets. Just anything you want to ask. We already got a great question, which we're going to talk about in just a second. How to get a hold of me very easily. Well, here on Instagram, you've already done it. On Pet Life Radio, you can either give us a call at 877-385-8882. Once again, 877-385-8882. Or better yet, join me here live. Go on to PetLifeRadio.com, click on Shows, Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff, and we can be here. Join us live, best with your pet. And, I mean, you know, we always say, and, and that's why I love telemedicine, is that you know, a lot of times people, the old-fashioned way, will send you a picture of what's going on. You can't tell. I mean, yeah, they say a picture with a thousand words. A live video, that's like a hundred thousand words. That makes it so easy. You know, for example, just on AirVet, taking calls as they do, that you know, we call them virtual visits. I used to tell people, that there's an 80-20 rule when it comes to emergency. And um, that 80% of emergencies weren't, 20% were. Now, having done over 4,000 virtual visits, I can tell you it's more like 97-3. You know, just talking to somebody, a veterinarian, go to Dr. Google, don't go to Chat GPT. It's too generalized. You need to see each case individually, and we can do it with telemedicine. So for those of you who aren't using it, find a platform you love. We'd love to have you on AirVet, but the whole idea is, or join us here on a Sunday on Pet Life Radio or on Instagram, and seeing an animal makes a huge difference. Anyway, we had a great question, which I'm going to share from Martino, and it is, I'm going to go find it again, about her boxer who is turning 10. And uh, my friend said he should get x-rays of chest each year to check for potential lung tumors. Is that true? And I'm going to take it one step further. You have a 10-year-old dog. I don't care the breed or even a cat. They should be going in for a full physical, blood work, urinalysis, depending on, the, on what's going on, the conditions, maybe x-rays every year. My, for me, I'm not one of these guys that likes to, I mean, I've seen records from other veterinarians, and it kind of honestly can piss me off, is that, that they're taking blood tests every single year. No, that's not necessary. Now, of course, pre-anesthesia, you, yes, you're going to do some lab work. But do a full panel every year. That's like a 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old going in for blood tests every year. Come on. You're healthy. You're healthy. When should you start? Yeah, like a person in your 50s. Then you go in, you get to start getting your colonoscopies every five or seven years, whatever it is. That's how it is with animals. But there, with animals, it's usually for big breeds. It's usually for me, seven years of age. For small breeds and cats, it's eight years of age. And then, of course, that's assuming they're all perfect. They have no problems. Nothing has changed. Yes. Now let's talk about 10-year-old dog, especially a breed like a boxer, golden retriever, dogs that are known to be the cancer kings and queens. And therefore, yes, it would be a, a very good idea. Now, of course, if the dog is already showing some signs, exercise intolerance, coughing, yes, that could be lungs, that could be heart. So there are some things that should be checked. But certainly once a year after for a boxer, seven years of age, should be going in for lab work. If everything is fine, maybe every other year, get some chest x-rays too, they would be fine. Now, let's talk about as tumors, what is the likelihood of getting primary lung tumors versus other? And I would tell you that yes, dogs get primary lung tumors, but there are many, many other tumors that they get much more frequently than primary lung tumors. And some of them metastasize and they metastasize to liver and lungs. Typically, those are the big, the two L's. And so 
yes, we need to watch out for these, but you should be checking your dog always. Lumps and bumps, pet your dogs frequently and give them good massages and rub downs. And if you know you feel a lump, have it checked. Any of them are going to be little lipomas, fatty tumors, they'll be warts, they'll be skin tags. I'm talking about there are going to be some lumps that need to be checked. Mast cell tumors, for example, we commonly see. So um, these are some of the things that we need to look at. Having said that, I've dealt with two animals in the last two weeks. Very, very, very sad. Both young. I mean, I'm talking less than two years young that have malignant tumors. It does happen. I remember one of my first cases in vet school when I was at Davis. It was a, a gorgeous golden retriever puppy, 18 months old, two years, something like that. I mean, it was young and had a huge, huge malignant fibrosarcoma in the face. And unfortunately, you know, the radiation therapy wasn't that in play way back then. And I mean, it was unfortunately did not work out very well. And um, anyway, we do see it. So this uh, great question. Thank you so much. Let me see what else we got here. Ah, so there are a couple of breeds. I love this one. Thank you. From Czechish Kiris. I there are a couple of breeds that I used to see a lot of. We all used to see. Back, my uncle had one. And uh, I saw one recently. I actually posted this a while ago on Instagram. I took a picture. I said, for many of you, you probably don't know what this dog is. But it was, it was like back then in the 60s and 70s, it was like the golden retriever. Everybody had them. They were magnificent. And they had this big external occipital protuberance. That's that huge bump that some get, dogs get out of the back. Iris setter. You don't see Gordons anymore. English, Irish. I mean, there's some, I haven't seen the last, I can't tell the last time I saw like a Saluki or the, an Afghan hound. There are certain breeds that have just kind of fallen out of favor. It blows my mind. And they, they were great dogs. But in the last, this past year, I do have two new Iris Setter patients and a Gordon Setter patient. So, and when I see it, I go, oh my God, my technicians haven't even seen this dog before because obviously they're a lot younger. Anyway, so um, I don't know the reason. It's just, they're not in fad there. I guess, I don't know. I mean, you have to, the, the people, the, all the Irish setter enthusiasts that used to get one after another, after another, I guess they're no longer with us. And it just wasn't passed on to their family. So we just don't see them. You know, it'd be a great thing to talk to some of these really legitimate Irish setter breeders and to see, what do you think? What is the reason? They're gorgeous. Of course, they required some good brushing, but they were active. They were, they're good hunting dogs. It's a good question. And I, I wish I had an answer. Unfortunately, I don't have a good one. It's all, all surmising. Okay. You know, I, I see occasionally a couple of vets joining me, which is great. Thank you so much. Why don't you guys tell me some good questions that you guys had, things that you're working with. Jeff, I have a German shepherd who is 13 years old. When he sits, he has some type of white greenness discharge coming out of his pee area. Is this an infection? Well, my first question is always going to be in a case like this. Is he fixed? I assume he is, but I don't want to make assumptions. So it is, if he's not fixed, then Clearly, it, it is a prepucial discharge that is probably linked to his testosterone. If he is fixed, they can still get little localized infections. It still could be what we call a smegma, just a, a discharge. It usually doesn't seem to bother them if they're not drinking water excessively, if they're not urinating excessively. It's probably just there and clean it. But let me know if, um, if he's fixed, because if he's not, that would call I love Nefri. had an Irish setter when I was young, back in the early 70s. Yes, her name was Sangi. She was beautiful. Yes, they are beautiful. I said, my uncle had one named Kelly. And um, was I think it was Kelly. Jill, you have to get back to me and let me know about that. I know it was Kelly of Shelley. So anyway, yes, they are beautiful dogs. And I, I, it was so cute when I saw one. I went crazy. <laughs> it did. It was like, a, you know, just bringing, made me feel young again, seeing an Irish setter. Oh my God, that was so cool. Back in, in, in our day, that was we used to see them all the time. Oh, he is neutered. Okay, good. So if he's neutered, 
It could be just be a little discharge. I mean, you can go to lengths. You can, uh, you know, put them on antibiotics. You can have the little the discharge culture to see if it's an infection. If it's not, you know, bothering him, then I wouldn't bother so much. Now, when you say for sure it's coming out of that area, because if he's when he when he sits, he has some type of discharge might be coming from the anus. But if you see it coming from the prepuce, then that's most likely what it is. Again, I'm not too worried about it. They usually sometimes lick it, keep it clean, but you know, it could be just an age, an age thing. So, so while you guys are thinking about some good questions to ask me, which, you know, I love, I'm going to, so this one I saw, remember a long time ago when the grain freeze came out and there was a lot of data, unsubstantiated, but just empirical about the, the increase in number of cardiomyopathy cases in dogs that were eat, put on grain-free diets. So the thought was, well, maybe there's a problem with the amino acids that make taurine. Taurine is an amino acid that seems to be preventative, all right? And cysteine and methionine are also sulfur-containing amino acids that together make up taurine. Dogs can do it themselves. Cats can't. That's why cat food has to have taurine. A lot of dog foods that were grain-free started adding taurine, thinking that was the reason. And we never really knew what it was, and nothing made sense. No one's been able to test substantiate it. So it was just kind of a hunch. We call it empirical data. Just data based on what we've seen, but no scientific evidence, no scientific collaboration you know, or corroboration. So what was causing it? No, then the thought was, well, maybe the amino acids are there, but there's something else in the legumes. Because what they were doing, they were replacing the grains with legumes, with peas, things like that. And maybe that's what it was. They have it, but they didn't have enough of it, or they have it enough, but they, they, did, they couldn't make it for some reason. Anyway, so finally, one of the vet schools, one of the better vet schools, actually the top vet school in Canada, it's Guelph. In fact, one of my former associates, uh, Dr. Gale, as it was a Guelph graduate, researchers at Guelph found no evidence that lentils, beans, or peas in grain-free diets raised dilated cardiomyopathy incidences, so more than anything else. So they, they've actually shown there was no more cases. Someone finally did a study, which in my opinion, long overdue. So anyway, so it's not that. I still think that it would be safe if you're going to feed grain-free, that the companies are adding some taurine. There's nothing, can't hurt. You can't get taurine toxicity. You're not adding a ton. It's just enough. But they, uh, so to date, it was just kind of a weird thing, unless something else in the diet, in a grain-free diet that we don't know about was potentially underlying cause. But bottom line is, if you really want to feed grain-free, you can feed grain-free and I wouldn't worry. All right. So we're talking about heartworm prevention and I'm glad it came up because I was going to talk about it anyway, because we here in Southern California, I mean, let's put it this way. They're typically, heartworm is a mosquito transmitted problem. It can be potentially deadly. I remember it's year round in the Southeast, in the Gulf States, part of Texas, Louisiana, Florida, year round problem. In fact, when Katrina you know, hit and we used to get, we were getting hundreds of dogs that were shipped out to uh, California, out west from the various shelters in Louisiana and New Orleans, where it was really, really you know, a huge problem. And we almost every single one was heartworm positive. It is a real problem. We here in LA, Southern California, never really had to worry much about it because we never really had mosquitoes. Now, in the Northeast, during spring and summer, when it gets hot and muggy, they would also need to be on heartworm. Well, we saw, and, and they knew it was going to happen, a heartworm problem. Look, insects are amazing, right? And there are mosquitoes now that have adapted to our climate and here in, in the Southern California, and we are seeing mosquitoes. And it has now been recommended by many experts that our dogs should be on heartworm prevention all year round here in the West. Uh, in the east, uh, southeast, we, it's always been that way. In the northeast, it's usually bringing spring and summer 
you know, in, you know, basically um, based on the mosquito season. So um, anyway, heartworm disease, very expensive and difficult to treat. It involves giving them aminoside, which is a poison, basically, an arsenical compound. And for cats, there are no proof treatments. So prevention is key. And I think that you should talk to veterinarians and start, you know, you're doing, look, you're doing flea and tick once a month anyway. So why not just add, you, you know, there are companies now and products out there that have already done it for you. And you can get flea tick and heartworm in a single monthly chewable. So my recommendation is talk to your vets. I started my dogs on heartworm prevention. It would be wise, even though most likely here in LA, your dog is heartworms negative, but you should always start with a treatment, inexpensive, in-house test to treat for heartworm disease, and then start. And the, another reason I say this is that most of these companies that make these products are going to guarantee their products. If you can prove that your dog was heartworm negative to start, and you've been religiously giving it every month, and you and it, they're still got heartworm for some reason, they will, if not pay all, they will help pay for the treatment, as I said, which is expensive and extensive. So um, I, it's kind of like a good guarantee anyway. Get them on the heartworm prevention to be safe, but do start with the heartworm test. This is kind of cool. A growing number of restaurants in the United States are now basically adding pet-friendly menu items, fish, pork, broth, beer. Don't even ask me. I have no idea what that is. And some food trucks are also, and bakeries are also providing pet-friendly foods. So what does it tell you? Pets are part of the family, and they know that you're going to find it somewhere. That means you're not going to get it from them. So now they're saying, you know what? You can't beat them. Join them. We're going to start providing food and things like that. So they don't have to go to a pet store where that supermarket becomes a one-stop shop, where that restaurant becomes a one-stop shop. And um, anyway, that's uh, pretty cool. So this is from veterinarians to pet parents, and there are five no-nos. And we're going to do these no-nos, then we're going to stop for a quick break. Uh, number one, never give drugs meant for us, for people, to pets without first checking with your veterinarian. Uh, number two, never leave pets unattended in cars, even for a, a few minutes, because you'd be amazed how fast, first of all, dogs, even if it's the weather seems okay, dogs start panting, they get anxious. That, remember, dogs' temperature is 101, 102 degrees, right? So every time they're panting that hot air, it's basically filling up that car, and it's increasing the temperature in that car dramatically. Number three, don't ignore your pet's dental health, because I'm telling you, so many times I hear people tell me, Oh, God, Doc, I know the teeth are terrible, but he's already 12. Care about 12. If he's healthy, talk. go back to the lab work. Every year we're doing blood tests. If those blood tests are fine, I'm not afraid to anesthetize, but I am afraid to ignore bad teeth because those bad teeth can lead to a lot of future problems, including heart disease and kidney failure. So talk to your veterinarians. Never feed table scraps. I'm going to soften this one a little bit, at least from the table. Yes, table scraps, if they're appropriate, then they're okay, but you don't want to do it from the table because then you create a beggar. And then what happens is when people come over, they're going to start, you know, they're going to get that slobbery, you know, chin on their lap and the dogs that don't do it. If you want to have, if you have leftover food, cut it up and you can add it to their food as long as it is appropriate for dogs. And then another one, and I really agree with this one because I've seen many, many accidents, retractable leashes. They seem okay. I don't think they're okay because sometimes the dog can bolt and it's just that they're not even wearing a leash. And remember this, if your dog, and this is in California, okay, where the laws are very clear, if your dog, if your dog bites a person or another dog, gets in a fight, and if both animals are on a controlled leash, then they are responsible for each other, okay? They, they want, you take care of your dog, and you take care of your dog. 
if one of the dogs is off leash or not under control, then they're going to be responsible for everything. That means if they've done a lot of damage to a dog, you're responsible. So a retractable leash basically is not going to hold up in court as being in control. So, and not to mention running into a street to chase another dog, getting hit by a car. They're just not that safe, in my opinion. So I prefer not using retractable leashes and uh, let's go. So madness is what's up. Okay, so that's a great question. And we're going to go right after the break. Here it goes. My Yorkie at times wakes up and rusts outside, eats grass, then vomits. Today, Borsi didn't show any signs of that stomach. What's the cause? Great question. And we're going to talk about that when we come back. How many of you have pets? My hand's raised. Now think about how lucky you are to have such a sweet little pet in your life. And that pet is lucky to have you too. But unfortunately, there are countless pets out there that don't have a home to call their own. However, Bob's from Skechers is trying to change that. So we developed Bob's for dogs and cats to help pets in need. With every purchase of adorable Bob's footwear or fun, stylish apparel, or even the cutest Bob's pet accessories, Skechers makes a donation to Petco Love to help save shelter pets. And with your help, we've already saved the lives of over 1 million pets and raised over $7 million. So while you're getting style and comfort with features like Skechers' famous memory foam cushioning, you're also helping to save an adorable pet in need and helping another lucky owner be connected with a future best friend and companion because happiness is having a loving pet by your side. Find Bob's at a Skechers store, Skechers.com, select pet co-locations, or wherever stylish footwear is sold. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. All right, and we are back live here at Pet Life Radio and Instagram. Just going into the break, we had a really, really good question and actually a comment on swimming pools. Yes, I should add swimming pools to the list that... If even if your dog is water safe, you never want to leave a dog unattended because sometimes they don't know when to stop. I was saying my yellow lab does, is one of those dogs. He will be in the pool all day. And they, what happens is they take in a lot of water and they get a little weaker. They don't understand it. And you, it's it potentially very dangerous. And I know of many, many dogs over the years that have drowned in pools and they were swimmers. So never take a chance. You have to have those baby gates. You need some way to keep your dogs out of the pool area at all times when unattended. Now, uh, Mallorca at times wakes up and rushes outside, eats grass, then vomits. This is the, the day before, no any signs of a problem. What could be the cause? So the answer is nobody knows. There are many theories out there about why dogs eat grass and then vomit. There are theories out there that they, they have an upset stomach and they know they, they're going to eat grass and it's going to make them vomit and that's going to help them. All right. I have my issues with that one. I'll tell you why in a minute. Others say they just like it. It's, it's moist. If they're thirsty, it, has, it tastes good. And they're not doing it because they are going to vomit. They are doing it because they like it, not knowing that 20 minutes later, half hour later, they may vomit because of the grass. There are those that are saying that there may be something in grass that does actually soothe the stomach, not, again, associating the vomiting episode with the ingestion of the grass. Now, here is a little bit of the science. We sometimes use aversion therapy and keeping dogs away from something. Aversion therapy is something, for example, when you, a dog has coprophagy, eating poop, and you spike the poop with super hot, terrible stuff, uh, that's 
one thing that hopefully will keep them away from poop, that's aversion. Giving something a dog that make, to a dog that makes them vomit is going to be aversion. Ah, but the vomiting episode has to be within, they say, five to eight minutes, maybe 10 max. So if they eat something and it makes them vomit almost immediately, they will not make the association. And if they liked what they ate when they ate it, they will go back to it if it's longer than, say, 10 minutes. If it's shorter, and I'm going to say more like five minutes, then they probably will avoid it even if they liked it because they don't like the vomiting. Well, when they eat grass, the episode, the vomiting episodes of grass usually is like 20 minutes, half hour, an hour later. They no longer make the association. If they liked it at the time they did it and it tasted good, it gave some moisture, maybe it did settle their stomach a little bit, they will go back to it, all right? Not understanding the fact that the vomiting a half hour later was because of the grass. So that to say they're doing it to make them vomit, I don't buy it or else there would be aversion. And we can say you, you can give aversion up to an hour. It's not. It's very quick. So the next thing is, do they like it? Yes, they do. It has a sweet taste. And maybe it does. It's very fiber. So maybe it does settle their stomach a little bit. And they know that. And that's why they do it. You know, I've asked hundreds of dogs over the years, why do you do it? Not one has given me a straight answer. So I have no idea. And I don't think anybody has scientifically shown anything as to what they do, why they do. It's a behavioral issue. And why do dogs eat poop? I mean, there are theories. Mine is just a theory also. But there's no, you know, they're not going to tell you. You can ask them all day long. I guarantee if you get an answer, you let me know. I want to know it too. But I could say, well, so much those dog actually told her this is why they do it. Then uh, that'd be great. I'll have a little something there. But uh, typically, no. Oh, good. You're very welcome. I got this poor Coco likes to mess with bees. All right. Are pools okay for their coats? All right. Again, my dog's been a swimmer. Never really had a problem. Depends. So uh, look, we have a salinated desalination and a, and a salinated pool. We use a saltwater pool. No problem. Maybe if you, if you have a big pool with a lot of chlorine, it might dry out the skin a little bit. It bothers us too. Uh, that's why I don't like chlorine. So I would say, no, I, I disagree with the groomer. It all depends really on what's in the pool. Otherwise, it's, it's swimming. You know, dogs go in the ocean all the time. It's salt water. They don't have problems. So I would say it would probably have you know, more a function of chlorine in a pool and to what degree the pool is chlorinated that might, might dry out skin and have an issue with coats. All right, here's another one. For those cat people out there, does your cat scratch uh, his or her face aggressively? And one of the things it could be, believe it or not, is dental disease because they have no way to rub their gums. They can't take their paw like we can and work on something in the, going on in the mouth. So they rub their faces. Um, of course, it could be allergies. It could be ear disease. It could be ear mites. But when you're making that list of potential problems, if you have that cat and they don't, do not have signs of allergies, their ears are, are crystal clean. Why are they rubbing their face? Think about dental disease. And um, here's another one. We have another. Yeah, we have them. How can we make life easier for our old dog? And so here's a bunch of stuff. You can get carpets or non-slip rugs, all right? on slick floors or stairs. And I, by the way, I'm going through this right now with my old lab. There's um, some really coat of anti-skid paint on exterior stairs, so that could help. So a lot of comfortable cushions around so he can lie down instead of on the hardwood floors or, or you know just hard surfaces. Get him on a nice cushiony bed. A raised food or water bowl stands. So you can put your, their bowls so they don't, again, for a big lab, they, they really have to put their head down to eat but if you put them in a little stand that is raising the food and water, that's just more comfortable for them. 
support and mobility harnesses. Those are harnesses. You know, we know what a harness is around the, when you put it on the shoulders. There are also some harnesses that can go around the back legs. A lot of these dogs, their problem is more hind end than front end. They get hip dysplasia. They get caught equina syndrome. They get weak knees. That's where we see it more on the hind end. So also these harnesses that can hook up, they go, you slip through the back legs and you can kind of help them, hold them up on their walks. And um, that, that makes it easy for them. And then also to keep their brain occupied, because we know a lot of these dogs get dementia, they're a form of Alzheimer's. So um, we call it um, you know, canine cognitive dysfunction syndrome, all right, or CDS, cognitive dysfunction syndrome. So you can get these puzzles that are food motivated. They have these little wells and you, they, with little pieces that slip over them. And then the food is underneath and they smell the food and they start manipulating all these things with their paw, with their snout until they uncover a well and they get the treat. And um, it's, uh, you know, you can keep their minds occupied, engaged. It rewards them. So you don't have to be there to do it. You can leave them with it. And um, also a great thing to do just to kind of keep them active. Of, of course, so go easy on the treats, keep them small. Because on the one hand, you're giving them something to, to occupy their brain. You're worried about their arthritis and now you're going to give them all these treats to gain weight. No, 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 no. You do just dogs. It's interesting. Dogs don't seem to really care about the volume of the reward when it's a food reward. They care about the act of getting the reward. So for example, you can give them a little morsel of, a, of their food, which is a little, you know, a little thing this big, all right, or something that's this big, a big treat, they're going to get the same satisfaction of having gotten it. However, they will be more engaged. The smaller the treat, the less they get, the less they will fill up, the, the, the more slowly they will fill up. And therefore, that will keep them going. Where if a dog gets into something, fills up their stomach, and finally, even a Labrador says, oh, enough already, I've had enough, then it's not going to work anymore. So always keep the treats as small as possible, and you can give more of them, you can engage them, and their satisfaction is the act of getting the reward, not necessarily the volume of the reward. So that's our thought for the day. Have a great week. A little overcast here in LA is supposed to burn off. I hope it does. I'm going to celebrate one of my grandkids, my uh, my son's oldest son, third birthday, uh, a little celebration today. So I'm over there for a little party. And uh, other than that, it's just, uh, if you ever want anything from me here at Pet Life Radio, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can just get a hold of me and um, uh, send me a note to, as I said, drjeff at PetLifeRadio.com. You can come on to our show on Sundays and join me for a live question here on Instagram, Dr. Jeff at PetLifeRadio.com. Dr. Jeff at drjeff.com, or you can just see me on AirVet, and um, I think that should do it. So uh, very easy to get a hold of, and of course, you can send me a private message here on Instagram, and I will respond. Thank you so much for joining me, and have a great week, everybody. Next week, we'll see you here, same bad time, same bad channel, here on Pet Life Radio, and here on Instagram, and uh, we'll see you. Bye-bye. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.